Welcome to the Cutors of Trek, the Treckle Trunk. Hello, welcome, welcome. Klingons do not play with toys, but we do. And this is the show where we do that. We'll uh, read comics, we'll play games with my Star Trek hero clicks here mm -hmm. behind me, and maybe uh, play with some of the toys. God, it's hard to point to the side you want. <laughs> <laughs> He's in uh, the mirror with, universe now. Perhaps play and review some of these toys as well this as way. we go. Um, yeah, we are your hosts, Plain Simple Tailors, aka Mister Trekup and Left Lieutenant Casey Finnegan. Yes, indeed. You may well certainly Canadian listeners may notice the That's homage true. to a certain Mister Dressup. That's right. Title of the show. Yes, yep, yes, man. indeed. Yeah, oh, a hero, a hero to the youth of Canada. Oh yeah, for sure. So tonight, today, not night. I'm used to doing these at night. <laughs> We're here to review a few comic books here. Um, Dave has them in hand there. I do. He'll carry us through the plots a bit, and we'll comment with what we think, and uh, you know. Other comments that we often make as locutors. Right on. So these are really recent issues. Uh, Star Trek number 400. Beautiful, beautiful cover art. Very good. Yeah, that's a, the variant. That's the variant B cover. It came with a few uh, different covers, but that one had Cisco on it. So that's the one I yeah. picked. <laughs> like cover um, arts by. Now, who is the cover art by here? Uh, Let's say. It, uh, it must. I haven't. Seen well, it. Well, well, this one's an anthology. It has six yeah. stories in it, and uh, spanning the Star Trek universe and timeline. Yeah, and they're 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 a series of meditations in some ways on what core pieces of Star Trek are, or maybe some core relationships, glimpses of things that we haven't seen, plus some just fun stories, just for fun in there. Uh, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, some of them are a page long, some of them a few pages long, <laughs> but yeah. uh, some of them were very cool and very exciting to me. And I look, yeah, I really like some of them. I, I mean, you probably already know my favorite story in here because it's, it's probably mine as well, <laughs> possibly. Yes, uh, um, yeah. so yeah, but we opened... published by IDW as all Star yeah. Trek comics are right now, indeed, indeed. Uh, first story called Captain's Log is written by Chris Eliopoulos, art by Luke Sparrow, colors by DC Alonzo. Let me just show you the, the, the opening page there. It's beautiful. Very cool. Uh, a bit of a Captain's Log there. Yeah. So it's called by perhaps Captain a certain Log. commander or a Captain Kirk. Perhaps. It's beautiful, right? It really opens the whole book up as this meditation on. Uh, what's happening this is uh as their time in the enterprise is coming to a close and it's uh it asks a great question ultimately uh you know oh, what is it one second a good captain one second there um yeah spoiler alert everybody if you haven't read these comics yet and you don't want to be spoiled 
go read them and then come back. Uh, oh yeah, that's probably good otherwise. Point. Enjoy, you know, enjoy yeah. the summer. Well, well, we're gonna give away certain things as we talk about the meat of the story. Like that's yeah. just inevitable. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we we end up with this set of questions about what makes a good captain. Is it compassion? Is it sacrifice? Is it heroism? Is it commitment? Um, is it all of those things? Indeed. Is it, in fact, Fox's core value of infinite diversity and infinite combinations? All of these possibilities are bandied about. And we see wonderful references to uh, various episodes like the Tholian Web. Very cool. Or uh, where's another? I do, I do like the art in this story. Oh yeah, here we go. Good old bit of Gorn punching, oh, and yeah, then ooh, some wonderful villains with Khan. They're finishing off the list, and a Romulan commander. Indeed, what? Uh, what? Romulan commander. Romulan commander. Another Romulan toy from the Trekkle Commander. Yeah, yeah. Uh that is we'll do a review on those time of my life i was seriously tempted to just break into a box right away but uh the the story ultimately uh asks the question you know maybe a good captain is all about having the right people around you and letting them do their best or maybe in the end it's about letting go did you sense the meta text or subtext in this story that i seem to well, I'm not sure. What are you, Me, what are you detecting there? If that's the story, I, I think it is, because I read these yesterday. Mm -hmm. um, um, it's basically um, referring or like speaking of the current kind of dichotomy in the fandom of Star Trek. Mm. Like the people who, like, you know, were rebelling against it. Star Trek being told in different ways. And it, it seems to be commenting a lot on that. If you keep keep that in your head and then read that story, it's like, wait a minute, what are you talking about? Are you talking about being a captain or are you talking about being a Star Trek fan? You know? I think it's a lovely way to read that. Yeah, absolutely. Because in some ways, we're all captain of our own ship somewhere. Mm -hmm. I am the, the pilot of my own soul, says the opening episode of Discovery, right? Yet we all have that pesky admiral giving us shit. <laughs> <laughs> We're not admirals of our own ship. No, sir. Sure. We're just captains. But um, some of us just get. Yeah, I love that idea. Um, and it's also a beautiful moment. I mean, the moment they pick essentially is uh, the moment between Star Trek V and Star Trek VI, I think, right? where uh, Sulu yeah. is about to become uh, captain of the Excelsior. Um, because that's... Or, you know, or actually is, right? Because in the last scene, he he's there captain. with um, that same uh, ops officer yeah. pilot that he has in Undiscovered Country. That's right. So we see we see this sort of moment where he's starting his tour. It looks Lu like. Lujour or something like that? They say his something name. Something like that, yeah. Like that. Yeah, something um, like Lujour. But and they, it's it's yeah, a lovely right. moment because it turns out that it's actually been Sulu talking the whole time, right? Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah. They, the that's first image they show point. you is Kirk, and you think he's giving the captain's log. And then at the very last panel, they show you that it's actually Sulu. I thought that was a really good story because you know, the meta text, the, everything. Also, and I don't know if, if you do this, but when I'm reading voiceover yeah. like that, or when I'm reading the characters' dialogues, I'm hearing their voice or some facsimile of their voice in my head, right? 
I, the moment I it do from William Shatner. Yeah. To <laughs> George Takai was like, oh, wow. I would love to see that. I don't know. Oh, my. Exactly. Yeah. That's. Yeah, that's good. I, I will say I do do that, but I find it difficult style. to stay in there. Like I slip in and out yeah. of hearing the voices in their head. Oh, but what sure. I will say, a bit of a spoiler for later, is in Lower Decks number one, I did not have that problem. The voices oh, were just yeah. screaming themselves at me. It just. <laughs> but anyway, we'll talk about that one here yeah, yeah. momentarily. But I thought it was an interesting, the, the meta text I thought you were pointing to mm. uh, was actually the you know, all those oft-touted stories about the rift between Shatner and Takai as well, right? Oh, in yes. a certain sense, there's also, there's a handoff going on there that um, was interesting too, right? But um, I think your subtext is probably the more foregrounded one as, you know, hmm. subtexts go. If I can mix this metaphor any further. It was a, a thick and dense story then. We got a lot out oh, of yeah. it for six pages or whatever. It was. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, um, I think it's a great one. Uh What's next? Oh. Okay, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna put this piece of art up. Mm -hmm. You all can know and love this. Design. Oh my! So is this your favorite story in the book? This is my favorite story. This this is Mine my too. favorite panel. Yeah, in the entire thing, right here. Oh, oh you know what? Just the Rutledge, the USS Rutledge, NCC five seven two five five, a New Orleans class starship, captained by the great. Indeed, and Maxwell and Maxwell, how the great mm. do fall later. But this He's is the great moment. do fall. Yeah. This is actually the moment before the beginning of his fall. Yeah, right. We're doing is... a lot of moment before us here. Yeah, and what an important one. I think there's another story that does that where they pick mm -hmm. a really good moment in Star Trek lore that we haven't seen, but people would have wondered about. Yes, and this is certainly one of them. And what, like, if we we ever do a top five on locutors about, well, maybe we have, but we do another one on uh, scenes mentioned, but we haven't seen. I guess we've done things sort of like that. But oh yeah, entirely. but uh, the massacre of set like three. That right? one would have been one. Like oh yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, honestly, a lot of the stories in this would work great if they wanted to decenter the Star Trek shorts from just doing the Discovery style. Of oh, now that is a good idea. It's harder, you know, I guess, with the actors right. aging and things. But... Oh, for sure. It's more like a dream casting or a or a or a you know a, a fantasy football team. But... Uh, or you could animate them. Like you could yeah. animate a Deep Space Nine short. So I'd be all for that. Oh, that's <laughs> amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially with uh, the lower decks breaking, you know, that wall down because it's canon. You know, lower decks yeah. is part of the universe we know and love. The... I mean, I think it, uh, that would be incredible. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But why don't you take us into the, the so, battle of Setlick here? We're, uh, we're, we open in orbit of Setlick 3, which, as uh, Miles O'Brien's personal log, Petty Officer Miles O'Brien at this point, uh, points out is it's been a nice break from the war. The Cardassians are a sly yet brutal enemy. Border skirmishes are at an all-time high. But this outpost is still quite close to the Federation-Cardassian border. All is quiet. But mm -hmm. as we see uh, Miles working on a panel, you see somebody mm -hmm. down here who is... A cloaked fellow. Clearly. clearly in a, in, in a, a well-tailored cloak, I must, I might add. 
Indeed, a well-tailored cloak, it looks yeah. like. And yeah. obviously, beautifully, I like this moment of continuity here where he's sporting the uh, original style of uniform we see Cardassians showing up in in the series. The, the headgear. Terrible yeah. headgear. <laughs> like that Gull Moset head, wasn't it Moset? Yeah, Gull Moset, that's right. Uh so this fellow says, of course, I, I seem to have lost my way. Could you point me to the Cardassian side of the border? <laughs> and Miles, who's been working uh, a little bit of engineering, but mostly doing soldiering for the last while, uh, brings him into the brig. He won't answer questions, so he brings Maxwell in to, uh, to see what can be done. And, and what we see in that scene, too, which is interesting, is that Maxwell was wasn't aware of O'Brien even at that point. No, this is really a first moment where they're introduced here, and he gets to see yeah. a little bit of who O'Brien is. Mm -hmm. But it's an, it's a very different picture than most of us get of O'Brien at first, right? Maybe yeah. maybe it's our far point picture of O'Brien before we know him as an engineer. Uh, but yeah, Maxwell's not sure that he's that good at engineering at first. No, and, and Miles <laughs> does push back about on that. He's just like, no, actually, usually I am. This is really, I just haven't done this in a long time. It's been, you know, yeah. a war. Yeah. So the Rutledge has been ordered back to the front uh, because it's intensifying. And it is mentioned that Maxwell's family is down on the planet. That's right. They're part of the outpost. He says, it must be nice to have a family. It must mm. be good for Maxwell to be close to his at the moment now. Nice little nod there to O'Brien's future family. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, of course, the future catastrophe of the Pegasus, which is all centered on, in some sense, the trauma of the loss of his family and Setlik III as a, as a moment of failure on the part of the whole Federation strategically, you know? Yeah. Uh, so, they wonder about what the guy was trying to send a signal about. Was he trying to breach our security shields? Was he trying to escape with a shuttle pod or something like that? They're not sure. So they try and talk to him and uh, we have another character there who's been mentioned in Star Trek before. Oh, now where are we here? The uh, oh, yeah. co-worker of O'Brien there. Oh, here, Caden. Yeah, that's yeah. Stompy. This is Stompy right here. Stompy. Good lad. Cool oh, as a mountain lake. The... Minstrel boy, the boy, the boy is gone. Well, maybe we'll end the show with that song. We'll oh, see. Um, <laughs> anyway, so he and Stompy are standing there, and they start to talk to this Cardassian who very oddly, hi, Sam, hey, Sam. Uh, who very oddly us, uh, tell them that what they really want to do is take him off to a cushy prison, and he'll tell them more because he really wants to get off this planet. Yeah, uh, They don't necessarily pick up on this, but they do say they're listening. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we switch moments in time. My dog is growling at me. He's trained me to open the door with this growl. One moment uh, here. I'll just, uh, you know, it's, it's, we're, we're a difficult species to train adequately. But I know it's a curtain, but go on around. There you go. Yes. It's, yeah. I need to growl that. My training is why this little one is biting me. <laughs> I'm amazing. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, right, and now uh, he begins to say, I belong to a certain order, and then yeah. something horrific happens. 
Mm-hmm. He uh, is disrupted from the inside out. Now, I wonder. Miles, in that episode, the Pegasus, I believe it was, or it might have mm-hmm. It might have been in a Deep Space Nine episode where he mentions it, but he mentions how he disintegrated a guy in that, like, changed his whole, you know, view of himself and of war and everything. Mm -hmm. Do you think this is it? Because they don't know how he was disintegrated. They're just like, but Miles is the one standing there. Do you think he blames himself for that? It may be. Um, as I recall, I think in that moment, that was after they brought the shuttle down or whatever it was, okay. uh, or after the attack, and he may have shot a guy with mm. a phaser and watched him vaporize. Mm. But this moment certainly can't be much better than that, right? This no. is a prisoner who's the captain's left under his charge, and all of a sudden he just evaporates from the inside out in this greenish glow, which, as we know in Star Trek, generally means disruptor energy or disruptor fire. And so mm. then we find another figure standing on a hill wearing a curiously yeah. well-tailored cloak. Very well-tailored cloak. It's mm-hmm. curious, these, these cloaks. Yeah, and he'll be... Uh, I mean, simply tailored. Simply. But, but well-tailored. Yeah. And on the next page, we are rewarded with information as to who we are dealing with. We are mm-hmm. dealing with Elam Garrick and Inabrin Tain right here. Indeed, we are. Although another character named Tane has met an unfortunate end. That's our fellow yes. himself. I was yes. confused by that as a piece of the script originally. I thought maybe they should have chosen a different Cardassian name because I thought, is he saying that Anabrin Tane died there or Anabrin had another relative that he sent to his death? Or Because Tane is. Yeah. Or was that supposed to be Tane and he swapped himself out and Garrick is aware of this so he was telling a joke he's like yep Kane died like he was supposed to like oh my gosh yes that that also i hadn't even thought of that but that is definitely well, you, you got to start thinking like three steps removed when you're dealing with the obsidian order yeah that's true <laughs> like one of those lizards in the desert what is um, what likely isn't the answer that's the answer <laughs> that's exactly it so their uh, their actual message. The message was looking at shipping manifests to see whether the car- the Federation were moving weapons into mm. that area. Yeah. Tain uh, uh, says there's there's no proof, but Tain responds, "Well, in any case, the intelligence is irrelevant. Uh, the Obsidian Order will confirm Central Command suspicions." Yeah. So but, the dis- yeah. the attack's been decided upon. But that's interesting that they're looking for Federation moving weapons into their territory because that's exactly what Maxwell says the Cardassians are doing. Yes, yes, that's precise. That that that. Anybody I, that's uses one of those, uh, as an excuse to you know kill them. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's a it's a wonderful piece of mirroring. I love that way that Star Trek tells stories. And, and given the fact that this is an issue 400, I like that they're leaning on that in the fact that there's so much uh, material that they can draw on around these things, that they can make these allusions and implications to all sorts of stuff mm-hmm. to bring it in as this metatextual or intertextual level. Uh, yeah, it's awesome. And it also, also I love because the it's bridge such a well like You know, yeah. they're obviously not on Tarek Nor at this point. They're on, you no. know, Shapes or some sort of base, yeah. yeah. Really good, yeah. 
I have my yeah. sources, Picard. What sources? <laughs> Look, that's it. That's right. I had uh, to act. Why? <laughs> oh, I love that scene between Picard and Maxwell. <laughs> anyway, yeah. getting distracted. That's all right. So now we're on to our third story, the shortest story of the bunch. The one pager. Called, Meanwhile. Yeah, I mean, that one, this one doesn't do a lot for me. I get what it is. It's just the what Scotty and Keynes are, are doing right mm-hmm. before Star Trek One. Uh, right. Of the, of the JJ Star Trek. Yes. Yeah, precisely. They're just hanging around. But I don't think it added a lot, really. I mean, no, it's just, it's just a one page yeah. of silly. You know, yeah, um, and there were there was a, there's another one in here that I feel similarly about, yeah. Me too. Um, but then we turn around and we end up in. Oh, Labar this one's. Yeah. I love this one. This one's written really lovely. by it's Art, written by Will Wheaton. One Will Wheaton. Art by Joe Isma. Colors by DC Alonzo. Mm. Uh, beautiful art style. It feels. The art, yep. if you get, take a look at it, feels kind of rotoscoped, you know? Oh. Um, it's got a real painting quality to it in yeah. some ways. Yeah. Uh, I really love the art style. Uh, and the story is narrated by Wesley, mm-hmm. uh, who in- for some reason has decided to come visit Jean-Luc Picard. He makes this the is- point. Mm-hmm. This is taking place during the last episode of Picard season two. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Looks like it. Yeah. Which we get uh, confirmation of on the last panel of this story, but spoiler alert. Yes. Yeah. So uh, it it says here, my body has existed for fifty orbits of Earth's mm-hmm. sun. I look like an average human from the late twenty fourth century, but I have been everywhere. I have seen everything. I have saved galaxies. I have made a difference. But it comes with a cost. So Wesley's meditating here in some ways about the 30 years he's spent uh, not seeing his mother, his friends, his mentors, uh, spent being a traveler. But doesn't regret uh, it. He's just no, but he does questioning whether he would wish it on somebody else. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. that's kind of what his conundrum is here in a way which we'll get to he's coming yes. to picard for advice on a decision he has to make he doesn't he's not going to tell picard what that is he just needs to like he wants to be picard to make him confident in his own decision making essentially yes yes uh and it, it, an... his consciousness has changed considerably right when mm-hmm. picard mentions it's it's 30 years a bit longer since they've seen each other he says it's been thirty years for you. Wow, that's that's a long time for humans, isn't it? He mm-hmm. really he's he's he spent eons, essentially moving about as a traveler. I think he may even say that somewhere. Uh, but ultimately, his timeline is still that he's basically a fifty-year-old man. Right? I like Picard's response to that. What's that? Oh, a blink of an eye for some, more than a lifetime for others. Yeah. Yeah, thirty years. It's all you on your perspective, man. That's yeah, for sure. Saying. And um, he's commenting on himself too, because he's in Picard season two. The kind of theme of the season is time, and this mm. carries along right with that, which is very nice. It fits in there nicely. 
Like yeah. this, this could have been a scene in that last episode, and probably I would have liked it if it had been. It would have made that the final moment that in this last panel refers to make a lot more sense. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, Will Wheaton does some good writing here. Um, it's really he really builds out the builds out the world of the travelers and the experience of the travelers and stuff too. Yeah. Yeah, there's some they that are closer than he thinks. Mm-hmm. He thinks it's risky enough already. So he brings Picard into a sort of interstitial space mm-hmm. where there won't be any time that intervenes and uh, there won't be sort of any memory of it afterwards. As they talk, he's um, he's really asking Picard how to make a critical choice. Uh, he he explains that the tapestry of reality is fragile in the way that the travelers work with it. And if he doesn't make the right choice, or if the choice doesn't go the right way, everything could come apart. And uh, comes to Picard, because Picard's made choices that affected entire civilizations, from the Mintakan to the Borg. Mm-hmm. Uh to the Romulans, right? Yeah. And Picard, with his usual aplomb, which he's recovered in this instance, says that is the defining question for every captain. We do not ever make choices alone. We consult our staff. There is only the courage and wisdom to make the choice without regret. But that courage and wisdom does not simply happen. It's earned over a lifetime, given to us in small doses, by those closest to it when we don't even re- realize it. It's a beautiful concatenation of things and leads to this lovely, lovely spread page. Oh, yeah. Where the different Wesley, things he's learned. Yeah. From his from different friends. The members of the crew on the Enterprise. Uh, some really lovely moments that I hadn't even remembered very much, uh, mm-hmm. but are really gorgeous. Uh, and now he realizes that he's always been trying he'd often been trying to be somebody picard mm-hmm. or Riker or some father his moments but what he needs to do is be himself and make the choice he knows he alone will make yeah and in the end picard- we come to this final panel here yeah well, a yeah. little higher there dave oh thank you it's hard to see through. Yep. Oh, there we there, go. There we go. So that's him approaching. Um, oh, God. What was her name? Oh, I've lost it now. Well, whatever her face Picard, isn't it? No. Yeah. Um, no, it's a, uh, one of the two clone, data clone. That's right. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There was Dodge, and what was the other one? Uh, Shoji. Soji. Yeah, that's Soji. Okay, very good. Yeah. So yeah, he's uh, which he does in the second episode, and he makes offers to make her a traveler, or not second episode, end end of season yeah. two, and it, they don't really explain why that is or anything in the show. So it's nice to have this bit that sort of fills that out a little, which doesn't really explain why he chose Soji, but just that it's very important that he either do or don't. Yes, it's like like realities could end if I mess up this decision. Like, so that's interesting. Yeah, I wonder, he, you have to wonder if the traveler felt the same thing about Wesley. It's just like I have to mm-hmm. make a decision about this boy, one way or the other. Or bad things. I love happen. it that they they hearken back in this moment, and Picard actually tells him what the traveler told him all those mm-hmm. years ago. You know, 
because yeah. that'd be nearly 40 years ago at that point. Yeah. Um, which is, yeah, which Wesley didn't know. Yeah. And he's but never known what, it until that moment. But I think the more important thing Picard says to him is that I knew you were exceptional and special long before that. Like, like yes. when you first walked on my bridge and I said, get off this boy off my bridge. Yeah. 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 Since I always knew you were special. Yeah. yeah. It's uh, nice, man. Yeah, it's a lovely moment. Uh, and now we have just like a piece of... I don't understand... I frankly do not really understand the story that's coming up. But oh, it's me okay. neither, actually. Um, it's um, called Starfleeter. And I actually have a, uh, an issue with it as well. I think uh, it's... This is written by Mark Johnson, art by yeah. Megan Levins, columns by Rhonda Patterson. Mike Johnson, and, who writes the majority of Star Trek comics these days, he does all the J.J. Abrams universe comics and everything. So, prolific okay, Star well, Trek writer. And this is about, of course, Kayla Detmer, the Starfleeter, she calls herself. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Sam says we should do an ep- a pod episode on Star Trek moments that would not be PC today. <laughs> Season I mean, one of TNG in general. <laughs> uh, yeah, we would we would just talk about what's that friggin' episode? Oh, Code of Honor. Oh my god. Yeah, goodness. we could just. Well, we would. You know what? Honestly, Sam, that's a good idea for Locutors of Trek season two. Yeah, yeah. We just do Star Trek. Moments. We just do themes, and that'd be a good thing. That's Next one idea. being the failures of Star Trek, which you know what, maybe fits into that actually. Yeah, <laughs> maybe yeah. that fits right into our next episode. Sam, I mean, the lovely thing about Trek is that Trek swings a lot, takes a lot of swings, and there are definitely yeah. some misses in there. You know, yeah. Um, some of them have weird lizards at the end. We have practiced the abduction <laughs> in accordance to our culture. <laughs> right. So here we are. This is a, a, a very strange story because Discovery has been made into a kind of a bumper car sort of a thing, as you can see, as has a Klingon, uh, where am I, Cleave ship mm. been turned into a weird kind of a bumper car thing. Or talk about uh, the Paradise Syndrome, he says. <laughs> pardon me? Or Sam says we could talk about the Paradise Syndrome. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, also would not fly. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, Detmer decides to look around and survey and finds a pot full of food mm-hmm. she thinks looks delicious. Uh, at which point, a very right. unhappy looking girl comes around the corner. Uh, they she's mad. And ends up trial challenging her to trial by Gah, which uh, I think is a fun reference back to Riker's time on a Klingon ship, maybe. Because uh, they, they do love their jokes about Gah. And uh, Lorel laughs, Ha, I can hear the pitiful wails of your fragile human innards. And then there's a giant burp. Um, the thing, my thing about this one is the other stories in this feel like they could fit right into the world yes this one doesn't it's very silly um, yes the characters aren't acting like themselves detmer i'm not the biggest discovery fan admittedly but to from what i've seen detmer does not act anything like this detmer she's not no. silly goofy she's like quite you know serious and kind of reserved yeah um, in, in comparison I, and I don't 
gotten her to put the gawk in her mouth and then stabbed her while she had the fork in her face, right? Like, yeah, it, yeah. yeah. The thing I, I found about it is that it, it, it honestly, it gave me the same feeling that, like, when my son was wee tiny, he used to like to watch, uh, what was it called, Marvel Superhero Squad or whatever it was. Oh um, yes, where where everybody has like... giant feet and they're kind of yeah, blocky, yeah. Mm. Uh, and it, it's sort of it's made for younger children, mm. uh, and that that's kind of what this story felt like. Yeah, and in that sense, it it stuck out from the rest of the stories as an odd choice for inclusion in here. Mm. And again, as you say, the visual changes in the ship, the other pieces didn't really make a whole lot of sense. Uh, yeah. Like, where are they even? Like, I don't know. I don't know. There's a, don't the know. anomaly, and they're on some yeah. random planet. Uh, but yeah, it doesn't, it didn't, it seemed very, very disconnected. Yeah. Uh, I was confused by it. But, and if it is, as you say, meant for a younger audience, it again is out of place because these other stories aren't. Yeah. They're, they're really not. really written for people who are probably old like us and have seen all the episodes it's referencing, you know? But I don't know. Yeah, it was a really, I thought it was a very strange choice for inclusion. Mm. It didn't do um, it for me. I didn't really enjoy it. I was distracted by everything. I was just like, this yes. is weird. This is weird. So I, I was just like, it. what is happening yeah. this whole time? Um, like, Denver's acting more like Tilly. Like, I yes. feel like it was supposed to be Tilly or something. But Yeah, they could have definitely put Tilly on that story, and it would have made way more sense. Mm. Um, can I just say once again how much I enjoy Tilly as a character? She's just great fun. Um, oh sure oh man now the next story along here is a beautiful one the art again is this is our style i really enjoy mm -hmm. um honestly the style kind of reminds me of classic johnny quest comics which are ones that i collected as a kid and just absolutely loved oh yeah so here we go oh, and, uh, and uh, uh, a nice little remembrance nichols. and a beautiful yeah page for a remembrance of michelle nichols rest in peace ad astra mm -hmm. um but yeah, this is called A Perfect System. This story is, whoops, I'm going the wrong direction. Uh, written by Jack J Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly, art by Ramon Rosanas, colors by Lee Loffridge, it looks like. Begins mm. uh, with Gary Mitchell saying, Once I was the kind of man who had friends. We stood together and plunged into the unknown. We lived for an ideal. We died for a cause. Once I was a man. Now... Gary Mitchell builds solar systems. Now Gary Mitchell's a god, you could say. Yeah. Uh, so we're picking up with, of course, the, the, the story of Gary Mitchell from the original series. Mm -hmm. uh, he, he refers again to IDIC. Says there's a Vulcan ideology, infinite diversity, infinite combinations, hell of a system. In practice, the plurality can be deafening. For each moment, an opposite exists infinitely. And yet, somehow, this is not annihilation. Mm -hmm. We got a real cosmic feel, almost like he's... I, I got a feeling almost of gum to out there somewhere, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, he has that Tin solitary man. feeling again, exactly. Mm -hmm. It's a great page of him beholding all of this with the sort of... Uh, where, gosh, I'm getting all turned around here. There we go. He need perhaps he just needs a Tam album. That's right. He just needs a Tam. Mm -hmm. um, he's looking at this, saying that he's preparing a place 
for them so that when they become as I have become, it won't be one who ascends, it'll be all. Interesting. Uh, one day their journey to the stars will bring them to where I stand now. I'll have a home waiting for them. Now, is he talking about humanity? He's it's a good for question. Humanity good to ascend, like the guy does and sees the back of the koala in yeah. the lower decks. Yeah, I mean, I could see that being because this is clearly a very Starfleet image, and that's he's talking about their crusade, right? Oh yeah. Um, but then this 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 last page or these last two pages, I find uh, an interesting or three pages, I guess, or an interesting set of connections. I have a lot to say about that, but go ahead. So here we come. We see uh, Gary's body beginning to come apart for some mm -hmm. reason. There's a red light that looks like it's either tearing him apart or being emitted by him. I'm not sure. A little higher. Uh, but yeah, yeah, so he's <laughs> his body come to pieces. And he it's... turns as it's coming apart. And interesting, says, after all, the world they want to build is a place for everyone and anything. Except, mm -hmm. of course, those who want everything to be nothing. To okay, me, yeah. nothing. It has no place for you. And He's then, referring to someone very specific there. And who is that? We don't know yet. But get to the end there and I'll explain myself. And so here we have it to be continued. Yes, there. Okay, so this whole story is a setup for the Star Trek number one comic that is about to come out. And I will be reviewing on the Trekkle Trunk here because I'm very excited about it. The lead character in Star Trek number one, this ongoing series, is none other than a freshly returned from the Celestial Temple, Benjamin Sisko. Oh, you are kidding me. I am not kidding you. And he's assembled a team. Now, oh, this, so this now this is this story. Yeah, it it's after Deep Space Nine. But mm -hmm. before Nemesis. This fella that's, here. Yes, that's his team. Data, that's Beverly Anna. Crusher. Oh my goodness. Data, Beverly yes. Crusher, and Andorian, and, and another yep. dude. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And he's been sent back from the Celestial Temple because there's some sort of entity, which is the one Gary Mitchell's referring to very specifically, that is out there destroying all the gods. Almost a gore the god butcher. If oh, you know. interesting. So all godlike beings, the Gary Mitchells, the Trelanes, Qs, mm -hmm. probably, you know. Right. Um, the the um, Telosians or whatever. Um, right. And so what we're seeing here in that sense, I took it uh, as sort of more widely a statement um, ultimately against nihilism, against that uh, way of looking at things which does draw everything down into a kind of nothing, into a meaninglessness, right? Cousin Jeff makes the very, very uh, salient point <laughs> that Cisco has planets yet to torpedo. Of course he's coming back from the temple. <laughs> the That's job of the good. villain is never done. But yeah, I mean... I think they chose him to go after the guy destroying gods for a reason. Yeah, yeah. But I think, you know, that, that argument <laughs> against nihilism is something that Cisco's well-connected to, right? I mean, in a certain sense... The whole problem with Ducat is that Ducat will make anything mean anything, right? He's just a sort of sophistical hole of, of meaninglessness. Ultimately, he tries to fill that with all sorts of things, whereas Cisco with talk. is almost overwhelmed with meaning a lot of the time. And we see that increasingly in the last episodes of the series where mm. the 
what's coming over him in these sort of prophetic waves are are uh, almost too much for him to handle a lot of the time right they could burn him out you live long enough to see you become the villain Ooh. Mm-hmm. indeed indeed yeah so but yeah and i guess the book so again nice build up for star trek number one that's coming out i'm really looking forward mm-hmm. to that series mm-hmm. i mean i wouldn't have never dreamed of a team of cisco data and beverly to be honest with you and i love it oh it's a great idea now mm-hmm. that is the last story in that issue there is some beautiful other art shows some yeah, brilliant covers some of that. things um let me find my way back to there let's see some of this so here are some of the uh, variant covers the one we have here we got here and then we've got oh i like this one a lot this is sort of two oh yeah sort of nice right double cover yeah yeah hold all of these a little higher that's all oh, oh thank you thank you yeah, i yeah. Will rely on your beauty perfect that's of... where you want it oh what a nice spock image in the background isn't that isn't that nice yeah now speaking of a nice spock image we come around to a different sort of a spock Oh, the, the many incarnations of Spock. Yeah, Very exactly. Cool. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then, again, that same art style from the more confusing story. But I do like yeah. the image. Yeah, that's very cool. Um, they could have told a silly yeah, yeah. story that oh, I just like so made really. more sense, like with silly characters, but they chose Denton. Yeah, exactly. Right? I don't know. This thing is, uh, I like that a lot. The book oh, very in nice. The middle is a lovely piece. Very yeah. cool. Uh, and then we've got just another sort of like a look more like a draft colored image or something like that. Cousin Jeff asks, how many times will Data and Troy be like, no, you can't do this. And Cisco is just fighting his way to the tactical console like he's in the Beatles. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think Troy's going to be there. You're thinking Beverly, I think, Jeff. That's awesome. But uh, good point. They're not used to Cisco, that's for sure. Data's going to be shocked. Beverly can be a little Cisco herself, quite frankly. Yeah, but, I can uh, see that. Uh, yeah, oh, she, look, be. she was going to burn that planet of like like sex hippies to the ground. Oh, that's to true. To save Wesley. <laughs> yeah. That's true. So. Oh, space hippies. Yeah. Speaking of space hippies. Yeah, oh, let's move on right. to inaugural I- issue. DW's Lower Decks, number one, Mm -hmm. written by one of my favorite comic book writers, the writer of one of my favorite heroes, the unbeatable Squirrel Girl. Oh, Ryan Ryan North. North. Yeah. Art by Chris Fanolio and letters designed by Joanna Natalie. Mm -hmm. So we open up with a beautiful, this is really essentially just an episode in comic book form. Uh, I would love to see it. 100%. Quite fun. It's only half the uh, issue. I feel like we're going to get every two issues. We'll get the equivalent of a Lower Decks episode. Because this one ends yeah. with a to be continued. And That's feels like true, it was half it. the episode. feels like it's like halfway through or even mm-hmm. close to the end of like the th- Which is half. amazing that you think like this entire comic book is essentially 11 minutes of screen time, right? Yeah. That blows yeah, my that, mind. They tell that feels about right. But, it, yeah. but they do. It takes longer to read because in... Uh, typical Ryan North style. He in, on every page or so, he has notes to the to the. Like he does silliest, that. In, silliest notes I've ever read. He does that all through Squirrel Girl too. Like at the bottom oh. of every Squirrel Girl page, there they are. Like this, this print here. 
Just he's random always, stuff he's talking about. Always talking to the reader, Ryan Norris. There's, a, there's a classic old um, Nova Scotian free newspaper here in Halifax called The Coast that used to have that running line on the bottom as well. I don't know if they still do it, but uh, it warmed the cockles of my Nova Scotian heart to see it on the bottom of these pages, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, and another, so we another plug, up, quick plug for Ryan North. Oh, okay. Uh, Romeo and Juliet, choose your own adventure. And Juliet. <laughs> yeah, choose your own adventure. Uh, nice. Yeah. Ryan North, he's a funny guy, oh, man. Cool. Very cool guy. Right on. He signed so this we, for me and told me to choose my own adventure. Do it, he says. We open up on a scene of battle. Uh, direct hit. Those Herberts aren't messing around. And we see that what yeah. we're looking at is, in fact, space hippies. Space hippies. Indeed. Or, as Ryan North conveniently reminds us on the uh, on another page here, uh, Carol, Starfleet is well aware that the Catullan renegades have been described as space hippies, or as we call them here in space, regular hippies. hippies. Uh, <laughs> it's like what is French toast called in France? Yeah. Uh, so here we go. They say they point out helpfully that you can always tell by the design aesthetic and their helpful presence that that is a Federation ship which has arrived. The USS Cerritos comes to the rescue, and uh, apparently Mangrove also thinks the Cerritos are Herberts. It's true. We have a beautiful sort of run of jokes about the massive difference in technological levels between uh, the Catullans, the, uh, their enemies here, and the Federation in that their shields actually end up charging up because of getting shot by these guys at one point. Mm. Uh, Which is a funny little uh, Ryan North's note to the reader. Oh, yes. Uh, Captain Engineering reports that channeling any weapon fire directly into our power grid has finally worked out perfectly, therefore justifying <laughs> years of exploding consoles. <laughs> <laughs> and rocks falling into the ceiling. <laughs> Just like in Squirrel Girl, some of the those notes are funnier than the actual dialogue, which oh is still gosh. funny. Like, Right North, I'm. I, I almost look. I was so excited when I got that. I didn't notice that till I got home and started reading it and opened it up, and I was like, Ryan North. Oh, oh my god! Now I really like the design of the Sitarans here. Me too. They're super creepy looking. Yeah, and they look like it would be traditional, like enemy style species creatures, but they have a legitimate grievance. Like they were just these guys are being really rude to us. They call them herberts. Hey, they call the fools called us herberts, which they I assure you, we are not. <laughs> That's right. Definitely not Herberts. Oh, Herbert, man. Herbert, Herbert. If you'd like to see me and Dave as space hippies, or hear us as space hippies, tune into Star Trek Radio Theater tomorrow. No. Tomorrow? Yeah, tomorrow. Yes. Yeah, tomorrow night. Yeah. Uh, so the, the Cerritos takes out their weapons with 1% power, uh, which will allow them to be repaired by the next day. Captain uh, Captain Freeman, uh, or sorry, Captain Mariner. Uh, no, it's Captain, it's Captain yeah, Freeman. Captain Freeman. Uh, makes the point that they do not consider them Herberts. The Federation knows that they are in no way Herberts. Herberts. And he says, well, good, because we're not. No Herbertations in that species. That's right. Stop calling everyone Herberts. Nobody likes that. <laughs> no, but I can just hear Carol's voice. Carol <laughs> Nobody voice. likes that. And stop calling them Herberts. Nobody likes that. Oh, just, man. This is so, so funny. 
Now this the their the theme running through this that they need one percent power and all this sort of stuff because they're really weak mm-hmm. turns on the Cerritos as things tend to do. Funny you should mention technology, Admiral Chapman says to her. I'm mm-hmm. sending you out to see the Kvanti. Mm. Uh which she had never heard of before, but indeed, it's an unusual edge by... case of the prime mm. directive. Yeah. Uh, so she says, she explains it here. While the prime directive forbids all contact until the civilization achieves warp travel, the Kvanti focused on transport unusually late in their development. As a result, their civilization is even more advanced than the Federation in some areas. This could be a very beneficial relationship for both parties, so I'm pleased the Federation has seen fit to assign this mission to the Cerritos. And it means that they're on a long but uneventful voyage, which means they have an opportunity to get Hello, some fun. A little it's Dickie Hill time. That's yeah. right. So we have uh, a beginning here with Boimler indulging his Dixon Hill fanboying. Mm-hmm. Gotta love it. Picard fanboying. That's Mariner a, even yeah. says at one point, you know there are other captains in Starfleet. The U.S. is quietly competent is waiting for his moment in the sun. Boimler. (laughs) (laughs) Quietly competent. Teddy tells us a little bit about Orion uh, Orion stories. She says, so did we miss the heist? He says, oh no, there's no heist in this one, just murders. Oh, and some life betrayal. Uh, Orion stories always start with a heist. Even the fairy tales? Especially the fairy tales, or as we call them, fairy heists. Fairy heists. Love it. (laughs) I love all the Orion backstory you get from Tendi. It's all hilarious. Or so the mistress Mariner's... of the winter, whatever. Oh, that's right. Uh, uh, Mariner doesn't like it. Whatever Boimler likes, she thinks is boring and stupid. Yeah, so, she says this is how old people have fun. Yeah, so she's going to yeah. go and do something more fun. Program yeah. Mariner Enterprise 1. She takes them through many eras of the Enterprise before they decide on maybe something a little different. Come on, he's the original detective. Dixon's riffing on. She takes him to Victorian Britain. (laughs) Which, for Star Trek fans, can only mean one thing. Moriarty. James Moriarty. Neat, says Tandy, of course. You see someone I should know, or... <laughs> so they give us a little backstory on Moriarty. Helpfully, you know, mm. gets trapped in the thing, mm. uh, and yeah, it is it important resides to on Picard's shelf. <laughs> yes, Starfleet Regulation three two zero seven three zero a subparagraph two clearly states that while Starfleet captains having a knickknack shelf isn't mandatory, if they choose to have one, it must have at least one little ship. Little ship, which is a great nod to the episode one little ship. <laughs> That is true. That's a wonderful. <laughs> oh my gosh, I, threw, I had forgotten that episode until just now. That's great. The nods are so on point oh, in Lower Decks in general, but Ryan North is really doing a good job. Oh yeah. So, they decide that they're not going to use Moriarty because that's obviously too dangerous. Yeah. And Mariner decides on somebody a little different. Yeah. Because, yeah. Now, as Ryan helpfully points out, Dracula is public domain, so you can stick that thing in anything. <laughs> And why he wouldn't you? You should. He's like, <laughs> there's literally no reason not to. He said, "There's no downsides." Dracula should be in every story. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> now, meanwhile, they're approaching 
uh, the atmosphere of Kvanti. Kvanti's atmosphere is highly ionized and charged. It disallows transporting and certain kinds of communications, I think. So they're going to have to get pretty close and send down a shuttlecraft uh, by the looks of it. And at that moment, they're explaining, you know, Dracula's a vampire guy. Computer can't make him sentient because Mariner starts asking. After the Moriarty incident, computers mm. are locked out of being able to do that. So, eventually they start telling it to do weirder and weirder things with this. Tendi says, computer, make a Dracula capable of defeating 100 Ultra Datas. <laughs> ultra Datas uh, being Datas that can use at least three contractions. Yes. Yes. His precise capabilities remain a mystery, but he's definitely mastered several contractions at yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And so eventually they even get Boimler in on it, and he says, you know, okay, I admitted it's safe, but that still doesn't mean you should go around saying things like, hey, computer, how's about Ascension Dracula who've been out with the best android ever? Thanks. And then computer goes processing. <laughs> we have an energy surge, which as we all yep. know is bad for holidays. Bad. Very bad for holidays. And the computer just they starts saying processing, 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 mm. processing. They're freaking out. Freaking out. The ship's okay. Mm. Rutherford and uh and uh Billups are doing fine up there. But Dracula comes back saying, not just I want to suck your blood, but I want to suck your blood, and then to escape this holodeck and take over the Salinas, just like Moriarty did with Enterprise. Somewhere Mark Ryan.Hagen begins to script another source book for Vampire the Masquerade. They um, also take a, a sh real shot at the crew of Picard's Enterprise with their solution to this whole thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we have we continue the interesting season two theme of uh ransom being mariners uh like direct supervisor like superior, yeah. yeah. So they're in an argument here. He's telling her, You've really messed this up. This is basically your fault. You're too reckless. You shouldn't have been pushing them to do this. What are you gonna do? And she says, We'll just turn them off, we'll just delete it. She says, You can't do that, it might be sentient. Yeah. Uh that's a very real violation of his simulated bodily autonomy, which mm -hmm. I thought was a Joke. Um, so he says you can't change him. You can't. You can't alter the program. You can't nope. do anything. You can't you know? change what his mind is like. And of course, mm -hmm. he's doing. Uh, Ransom is doing all of this while seated on an exercise ball, so he can do crunches. <laughs> As would be clearly Ransom's plan. Uh, the beach is that way. Crunching. <laughs> um, so. Uh, they, they get that all set. He says, you're basically going to shut down the thing for now. Yeah. Uh, and... but the, the reason uh, Mariner was able to go and have a conversation with Ransom in the first place is because she pauses him. Oh, that's right. She pauses the holodeck. Pauses Dracula, which like is the shot, I think, at TNG because they never actually thought of that. No. They never no, tried they to never pause Moriarty. They're just like trying to get out of the holodeck. <laughs> Trying to delete the program, it's like just pause him for a minute, you know. Yeah, just, anyway. just wait. I like. I thought it was a novel, a novel way of trying to at least delay the problem. So now we're heading down to the planet. Freeman's excited about going on an away mission. That seems yeah. safe enough that there's no reason to stop her from going. Yeah. 
She takes Shax and Ta'ana, and they head down to the planet, except the planet is not what they're expecting. No. Not, not a, a technological tall... haven there. Yeah, no technological haven. But there is a uh, surprisingly large group of people heading for them fairly quickly. So we come back to Dracula. Yeah. We're shutting down the uh, holodeck. She's putting them in secure storage. All seems fine. Up on the bridge, they're trying to figure out what exactly is going on on this planet, why it's not quite correct. Yep. So they say they're about as far as developing from developing warp technology as you can get, Jack. You've not only broken the Prime Directive, we've shattered it. And Starfleet is going to have our head. So something yeah. has gone terribly wrong. And then at the last moment, what happens? Drac's back. Drac is back. He was just, yeah, like Moriarty did the same thing. He acted yeah. as if he was gone and then just pops back, right? It is Vlad. Vlad. Yep. So we got some to great be art To be continued, we got a nice picture potentially. Yeah, maybe a spoiler, because that's the cover of issue two there. Yeah. Some other I like this one here a lot. Let me make that very much reminds me of the first moment of the first episode where she like nearly cuts his leg off. Yeah. I think it's great. His uh the art looks just like the show, too. Oh, very much. Now this one I really loved. Uh, Him playing the the oh yeah, it's awesome. Very cool. Yeah. Who was in the background of that image? These guys here, yeah. I wonder. Look at them. I wonder if they're they, they kind of look like the oh, Sitaris it's those guys. Yeah, it's those, Maybe it's the no, Sitaris with yeah, it is the Sitaris. Herberts, yeah, yeah, ah, those Herberts, those Herberts. And then we have Cavanti in World of Tomorrow, and then Badgie, oh, Badgie showing us uh, which there are callbacks in these Star Trek moments yeah. in this issue. So they tell you where the callbacks are, which is fun. Yeah, very cool. Uh, there's a loading error, so you have to find some uh, differences. Mm. And then, uh, oh my gosh, I like this ad for Warp 5 Nachos. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Warp 5 Nachos. Awesome. <laughs> Get them in a replicator near you. <laughs> yeah, so those are the issues. Yeah. Uh, really great so, fun. I thought that could make a perfectly good episode of Lower Decks. That would be a great episode of Lower Decks. Oh, yeah. I can't wait to see the second half of it. Um, yeah. yeah, like I think a lot of these lower decks comics are gonna be not only do they feel just like lower decks, I think they're gonna be better than a lot of episodes, some episodes, just because I think Ryan North is writing them and I have great confidence in his writing. Um, he should be writing, he's definitely got the camera down pot. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to see where this series goes. I suggest everybody read it, Throw, slot it right into the old head cannon, it, it fits right into the show perfectly thus far. Yeah, um, and certainly join us on the next edition of the Treckle Trunk, where we will be reviewing low. Well, unless we do a gamers play with some yeah. toys first, but yeah. where we'll be reviewing Lower Decks number two, and we'll also bring in because I believe it comes out next month or perhaps even the end of this month. Uh, Star Trek number one. Nice. So we'll pick up nice. on the Cisco story as well. So All really right. looking forward to that. Um, I hope you enjoyed us here in our new home at Live Long and Podcast. We've been assimilated by the Borg, but you know, Resistance you could call us people. much like our logo. We're we're kind of like the Deep Space Nine of Live Long and Podcast. 
deep. The locutors of the whole sophisticated tremble. Yeah. Yeah. Just like Deep Space Nine. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> so uh yeah. Having added our technological and biological distinctiveness to their own, it uh I think it'll be a good thing. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. uh speaking of which, you know, check out the other stuff going on over at Live Long and Podcast. Um, of course. On? What day is it? Oh, the radio theater. Radio theater tomorrow. Yeah. Check that out. Yeah. We're gonna be we're gonna sing in for you all and play instruments. Look out. We'll bring a tear to your eye. And then on Sunday, I host the all musical edition of Trivia Debates. Nice. And that'll be fun too. And I'll probably play some music on that too, because why wouldn't I? It's music edition. Okay. And I like to have the excuse to do so. Uh, and also check out Super Mater Brothers. They'll be reviewing Big Brother. I think that's coming to an end. I don't watch that, but I'm pretty sure it's coming One to an end that season. Yeah, well, not not forever. Yeah, uh, we're not that lucky. It's like those signs you see on the road that just says construction ends. It's just like, oh, man, you can help. Sam asked the question, are we going to permanently stay on Live Long and Podcast? And I would say that depends on how they treat us, Sam. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> the alliance is strong for now. Yeah, it's very strong alliance. I think we found a new home here. Yeah, uh, yeah. Just uh, there's a ton of Trek content. We're gonna overwhelm the internets with our Trekiness. That's right. Um, yeah. And also and check out my so hard. my other podcast. Check out X Rated. We're gonna have uh, Marvel Comics artist David Cutler join us on Tuesday for know. the episode Cold Comfort. And also check out my co-host on that show's podcast, Graphic Histories. He's on break right now, but is a great back catalog. You should go check out. He should have Ryan North on that show. I'm going to talk to him about that. That's great. Um, yeah, Ryan North's cool, man. Um, yeah, I guess that's it. All right. Um, All right, in that case. Yeah. And transmission. And transmission. Um.